Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. And today we have big news. In honor of springtime's arrival, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. For store hours, visit yumiko.com and be sure to follow along on Instagram at Yumiko to participate in their weekly giveaways and to stay updated on all things 2021. If you are looking for a great summer read, well, we have the perfect book for you. Introducing Being a Ballerina, The Power and Perfection of a Dancing Life. Written by a friend of the pod and former principal dancer with Oregon Ballet Theater, Gavin Larson, this memoir will hit home for dancers and audience members alike. Recently featured in the New York Times, The Dance Edit, and Point Magazine, Gavin brings you intimately behind the curtain, illustrating the thrills and challenges of a dancing life. This book will bring you closer to the art form that you love and is sure to take you on an emotional journey. Hear more about the book in our chat with Gavin in episode 225. Being a Ballerina is on sale on Amazon and book retailers nationwide. To find a retailer near you, visit gavinlarson.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today, we are joined by Emily Meisner, the Director of National Dance Institute Collaborative for Teaching and Learning. We have a wonderful chat with Emily about the beginnings of National Dance Institute, founder Jacques Dambois' vision for NDI, how she became involved in the organization, and the amazing work that NDI Collaborative is doing. NDI Collaborative is a professional development program for teaching artists, dance educators, musicians, and organizations worldwide. Their incredible offerings are now available online and can be accessed from anywhere in the world. Learn more about NDI and NDI Collaborative at nationaldance.org.
Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. We're uh, so glad to have you on as a guest. Um, and we're going to start just kind of at the beginning where we always start with our guests, which is to ask how you first became in the arts or more specifically in dance. So I grew up just outside of Boston and I, my mom would take me to, uh, to see Boston Ballet perform the Nutcracker from when I was very little, like many little kids do. Mm -hmm. And I think I was maybe five or six sitting in the very, very back of the balcony and watching, you know, Boston Ballet's production. And at one point, it definitely turned to her and said, um, I want to be on that stage. I want to be in that. And she said, are you sure? It's a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> And I said, I am sure. And she signed me up. And I think starting around six, um, I trained my whole life at Boston Ballet School and then um, was an apprentice with the company in BB2 um, for a year and had some significant injuries oh. and then ended up applying to college and moving to New York for that. Right. Um, but Boston Ballet was my whole my whole journey. Wow. <laughs> That's How? so rare for someone to stay, you know, in that one place. You know, you don't you don't hear about that too much. Um, usually, people are are going off to you know try to attach to a company, but to have um, that level of commitment to one organization. Um, what were you thinking? Like, did you ever consider moving outside of that, or was New York kind of an, an awakening for you outside of Boston? That's an interesting question. I at one point I definitely begged my parents to let me go to like a you know, where I would live and dance, huh. right. um, some, one of those conservatories and they refused, um, because they wanted me to have a more typical um, mm -hmm. education. Um, as far as my academic education, right. they wanted me to stay in, you know, the public schools and get a, get a good education. So I did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did go to a couple of summer programs, Pittsburgh Valley theater, um, a couple of other summer programs and got to explore that, but I, I really loved Boston and, mm -hmm you know, was happy there. So yeah. I never really ventured too far. I think that um, this is a very important trajectory to talk about because I think there are so many dancers who, like you're mentioning that you had injuries that kind of caused you to stop being able to dance. And I think you're not alone in that. And so you found a way to stay connected to the art form and kind of find this different angle for it. So was that always something that was your goal or were you kind of like, oh, like I'm too heartbroken by ballet being over. I need to step away. What was that um, transition? That's a great question. Cause actually I know, I never thought this is what I would do. Oh. I thought I was going to be a marathon runner and an English teacher. Like okay. I was like, okay, ballet's done. I wasn't actually that sad about it. Really? I'm going to be honest okay. with you. Yeah. Um, I know you're both two former ballet dancers <laughs> as well. Um, I, I loved it. I'm going to say for me, at least I love training. I had this incredible group of colleagues that I was training with and that I grew up with. And my year in the company was, was really mixed for me um, at that point. And it also became clear that at least for me, while I think I could have had, you know, I could have had some years if I hadn't had the injuries, I wasn't going to have the roles that I think would have been artistically fulfilling for me. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty realistic about that and, and made peace with that. And I saw other friends that were having much different career trajectories. Um, and I just decided at a certain point, there's a lot of things I want to do. Right. And I think I, you know, should listen to my body and, and move through it. So actually it became clear to me right around Nutcracker time, around December, I started applying to college. I was like, I think I'm done. I finished, of course, my contract, but I, right, right. I just knew that I was done and thought I would become an English teacher. I thought right. I love literature. I thought, well, let me just, I love kids. 
let me delve into my other passions and become a marathon runner. Because if you grow up in Boston, you're obsessed with the Boston marathon. (laughs) (laughs) So how deep did you make it into this journey to become an English teacher? Deeper than I made it into the journey of becoming a marathon runner. <laughs> so I'll say that. Um, that journey did not go deep at all. Um, well, I be- I went to Columbia and I became an English major and I, you know, just delved into literature in a really big way and was really interested in, you know, I think mostly because I had some incredible English teachers growing up. And, you know, that speaks to maybe now what I do, what I do, because I do believe that the impact of a teacher on a child's life is huge. And when you have a really excellent, dedicated, passionate teacher, it changes everything for you. So I thought I would become an English teacher, but I actually found out about NDI in my senior year of college. Oh, wow. And that, I never even knew about it. I knew, of course, of Jacques, of Jacques. I didn't know Jacques at that Mm -hmm. point, but I knew of Jacques, uh, Jacques D'Amboise, but I, um, I had never heard of NDI and I didn't know about that. So that was a really big moment. And that sort of changed things for me. Mm-hmm. How did so you it was become kind of, aware of it? Right. Uh, one of my roommates learned about it in one of her Columbia College classes as, wow. an, as an outstanding arts education program. Go figure. She came back to me, said, I think you should know about this. You love children. You love dance. It's right here in New York City. And I looked it up and called it up and went and did a teacher training and learned, you know, what it was and how to teach. And of course, Shock was there and was a big part of running that training. And that right. sort of started the journey. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of NDI? Um, Jacques obviously founded it. And but what was the what were the circumstances? Why was he so passionate about getting this project up and running while he was still a principal dancer at the New York City Ballet? Exactly. So Jacques founded National Dance Institute in 1976. And he was still, he was at the end of his career, but he was still dancing. And he, as he tells it, Balanchine would come and sit in the front row and cheer him on in his early shows with children. Um, But I think for him, I think what made all the difference was that he grew up in Washington Heights in New York. And he uh, was, you know, as he tells it, he was just a kid hanging out with other kids on the streets and doing his thing. And his mom was very insistent that he and his siblings uh, become cultured and take dance and music. And so he got dragged along at various points to dance classes and it had a huge impact. And he started to kind of like it. And then he was, you know, realized he was good at it. And then he really liked it. (laughs) And dance completely transformed his life. And he, to his credit, to his deep credit, he believed that it shouldn't be in a dance shouldn't be an elite art form. Dance should be for every child. It should be an essential, critical, foundational part of every child's education. And he that's he founded NDI in that belief that the arts are a vital part of a child's education, not an extra, not an after school, and not for a specialized group of people. I want to reference this quote that you guys have on your website um, from Jacques. He says, give children the best of everything. They will grow up to be the best and to pass on the best. And I think that's so lovely. And it kind of wraps up um, sort of what you're talking about here and the genesis of the entire organization. And I love that. Exactly. And, and, and that was a big part of Jacques' founding belief and philosophy, which is that part of giving children the best is giving them the best teachers. Mm-hmm. He was all about that. And by that, he meant artists at the highest caliber. Yeah. 
bringing artists incredibly, you know, talented and as he was, right? A dancer mm-hmm. at the top of his career who right. could have done many things. Right. right. So he really believed in, in um, bringing artists, dancers, musicians. We, all of our programs use live music. So musicians at the highest quality, dancers at the highest quality and training them to be educators. Right. right. Yeah. I, you know, that's something that um, Michael and I have talked about before. Like, so many children won't go on to be professional dancers, right? People that are a part of this program that go to ballet schools or dance schools across the country, many of them won't go on to that. And maybe they don't want to, but they, you know, there can be this um, sentiment among artistic staff of a ballet school that's like, well, they're not going to go on to be dancers. But that doesn't matter, right? Like, you still want them to learn the right way to do things. Why not? If you're going to take the time to do it, learn the right way to do it, give them this appreciation for how hard it is to do it properly. And then you're really educating like the next generation of audience members, of donors, board members, and it kind of all progresses through the ranks of the art form in that way. Exactly. No, I think it's, I think it's very, very important to, to look at it, you know, kind of holistically in that way and thinking about, all of the ways in which the arts impact a child's life, regardless of the profession they end up choosing or gravitating towards or being able to to do. The arts have a major impact in your sense of self, in your sense of accomplishment, in your ability to, you know, challenge yourself and and ultimately become just an appreciator of the arts and be um, nourished and impacted by them. Mm So what were some of the ways that Jacques and NDI initially sought to um, reach some of its sort of um, the goals of its mission? You know, how, how are you, how was the organization initially um, reaching children that would not usually get an exposure to the art? Right. So as I, as I hear it, as I've heard it both from Jacques and from many others, because in 1976, I wasn't there, but um <laughs> He started very small with uh, a class for his children, right? So Jacques has four, had four children and he wanted them all to have the opportunity. So he started with a small class initially just for boys, thinking let's get more boys into dance. Right, right. And very quickly realized he wanted to keep widening. And that's sort uh-huh. of the Jacques narrative. Everything uh-huh. just keeps getting wider and wider. And his his vision is immense. There's no There's no stopping his vision. So it started from that. And then as I hear it, he started going into public schools, walking into public schools, talking to the principals, saying, I can bring a dance program to your students. Do you want Mm -hmm. it? Are you interested? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And he just started doing it. He just started bringing dance to the public schools all across New York City and, you know, getting more and more doors opened. And once they saw the magic of Jacques, the magic of what he was building and creating, more schools started, you know, reaching out and calling and wanting that in there for their children. Right. And has it expanded beyond New York City then in the years to come? Yes. And and he originally named it National Dance Institute, which it still is called, NDI, because he had this founding vision, not so much that necessarily NDI would be everywhere, but that dance is a national priority, Mm -hmm. that dance should be a part of the conversation. It should be a national priority for every child's education. And so with that in mind, um, yes, there are what we call affiliate programs. They're all around uh, the country. There's, I think, 11 now that are based on the same method and philosophy. They're independently run. 
Um, they're not run by us. They run themselves, but they're based on our same method and philosophy and they get a lot of professional development and support from us. And there's also um, a number of international programs, currently one in um, China, in Shanghai, China, and one in Beirut, Lebanon. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. So Jacques, as we know, recently passed and he leaves such an incredible legacy, but um, in, with particular regard to NDI, um, how do you think his uh, impact will continue to be felt years down the line within the organization? I would say that Jacques is in the air that we breathe at NDI. He is in every, you know, part of our fabric. Um, Jacques was one of the most enthusiastic, um, dynamic, curious, like so curious about the world. You know, one of the most curious people I've ever, ever met and ever had the opportunity and the um, gift to work with. Mm -hmm. And that sort of permeates the atmosphere at NDI. It's very, um, it's a place with a lot of passion, a lot of um, dynamism, a lot of belief in the importance and the power of evolving. You know, as an artist, I think his founding vision was constantly evolving. It's not stuck. It's not fixed. It's sure. Yeah, this is working really well. Good. Let's build on that. Let's evolve. So that's definitely a huge piece of sort of the ethos and the culture at NDI is um, taking what works really well and also continuing to constantly stretch ourselves as teachers and as artists to evolve, to um, try new avenues, and ultimately always with the goal of bringing out the very, very best in children. Children are always at the center of our thought process and our sort of organizational priorities. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about, you were talking about how Jacques' vision is just about expanding and expanding and expanding. So how has NDI expanded from those early days where he was just walking into school saying, I got a dance program I can sell you, you know, like what, what, right. what kind of, you have so many things going on now. So tell us a little bit about the various programs that NDI and, and sure. programs and workshops that NDI offers at this moment. Sure. Yeah, there are a number of things, right? So sort of the heart and soul of NDI's program is our in-school program, which is in public schools in and around New York City. And that's approximately 6,500 children a week that wow. we're teaching with wow. teaching artists all over the city, musicians, dance teachers. We're always bringing in teams. And so that's sort of the heart and soul of what his original vision and how that's expanded. And then, of course, in our associate programs around the country as well. Um, and then a really big part of what was his original vision, but what's come into fruition recently and what I'm very directly involved with now is the NDI Collaborative for Teaching and Learning, which is our sort of a hub, a professional development hub for teachers. And Jacques always believed and was passionate about, you know, working with and training and supporting teachers and believing that that was a continually important thing to be feeding and nourishing teachers alongside children, they, we also constantly need to be growing as teachers. So that's a big part of um, where we've evolved to in the last few years mm -hmm. is really formalizing that. Um, it was always a part of some, what we were doing to some extent and always a part of what Jacques was doing very informally. Jacques always thought of just, well, it's just good teaching. He never thought of it as like a method, an approach. Right. He was just doing it instinctually what for right. him felt like good teaching and probably a lot of what he'd learned from his years with Balanchine and, you know, other brilliant artistic choreographers mm -hmm. and what he'd absorbed. And now it's becoming, um, has become at NDI a more formal entity and a part of what we do. Right. Right. So 
So now that we have a little bit of background on the organization, let's circle back to your involvement. You mentioned that right at the end of your time at Columbia, you became aware of the organization. How did your awareness of the organization go to you becoming a part of it, an important part of it now? I initially um, had already signed a contract to be an assistant kindergarten teacher for that year right out of college <laughs> at a school. Uh-huh. And I so I did that. I wanted I did do the um, teacher training at NDI and loved it. I mean, I walked in that door and I immediately said, this is it. Sort of back to what you said earlier, Michael, about, oh, this is a way to keep my love of dance mm-hmm. alive mm-hmm. and not be a professional ballet dancer. I'd only thought of one avenue. Right. I just, growing up in ballet, at least for me, I only was really, nobody was talking about other avenues. There was only like, well, you're going to be a professional ballet dancer or bust, you know, or you're going to have to go do something totally other. Arts education never once came up in conversation. So for me, that was, it was like a revelation that this is possible. I can actually stay in this in a way that's actually not about me, but outward looking about children. And that for me, after years and years of always looking in the mirror and thinking a ton about how I was looking and how I was doing in the ballet studio was really powerful. Mm-hmm. We're in public schools we're there's no mirrors. We're not looking at ourselves. It's not in any way about yourself as the teacher. It's all about the children and what you're getting and, and responding in real time to that energy. So I quickly realized that's what I really loved. I had this, um, contract that I need to fulfill as an assistant kindergarten teacher. I did that and kept coming to NDI every Saturday. I was just like, I'm going to just be there every Saturday, every Saturday, you know, which is when we offer some of our scholarship programs um, for dancers from all across the city who come together. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a year. And then towards the end of that year, um, got hired to be a teaching artist with NDI for the following year. And I've been there ever since. And that was in 2003. So it's been a while. So amazing. I, I want to hear more about the the teaching workshops because that to me is something that is just so, it's, I, it doesn't seem to be particularly thought of at most art, arts organizations. And I think there's just this idea, well, you become a teacher and you just teach what you know, and then that's it. And I mean, of course, that is very important. We all teach what we know. But I know for me as a teacher, I certainly have moments where I feel a little stale and I need to I need to re-up the inspiration or I need someone to you know, we're, we're still, just because we're teachers and we're older than our students, doesn't mean that we don't need to be re-inspired or um, have new methods of um, of teaching. So tell us about some of the workshops, because to me, this is personally very intriguing. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. I think that is so true. I just want to agree with that entirely, that teaching is a craft and an art in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And being a dancer at the highest caliber does not necessarily <laughs> mean that you're a teacher at the highest caliber. Right. They are two different skill sets that are related, but require different, you know, different growth and development. So what we have developed is really, um, I think, some pretty incredible workshops and trainings for teachers to strengthen their craft, no matter what style of dance they want to teach. We don't teach ballet. Right. In the public schools. Not at all. We don't teach ballet. We teach, um, it's not really a style. I say it's sort of closest to maybe theater dance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's big, bold movements that are, um, you know, meant to be initially designed for non-trained dancers. Cause that's right. who we're working with. We're working right, right, with right. every child on a grade. 
they might not want to be there. They often don't. Um, and that's our job is engagement, engagement, right. engagement. So the strategies that we've developed and that we train teachers through our workshops are really to help with maximum engagement um, and really having an incredible flow in your class so that your class has a kind of dynamism that takes it over right. and they don't even know they're dancing <laughs> half the time. They're just kind of like in the flow and, and in the groove and feeling inspired and excited, healthy competition. Um, so there's a lot of specific tools and techniques that we bring into our trainings that I think, and we were told, and it certainly helped me make uh -huh. you a really much more effective teacher um, right. children. I love that. I think that, um, like we've talked about this in arts administration, like in artistic staff and companies, just because you had a great career as a dancer doesn't mean that you know how to manage people, for example, when you're in that sort of position. So, and just like we're saying, just because you're a great dancer doesn't mean that you're going to be a great teacher, but you might have that great understanding, but then it's like communicating that to the kids. Cause I mean, I always have that problem where I just want to do an hour of tondus with my kids and they're like, this is so boring and I can't keep them engaged. But <laughs> to me, I'm like, you don't love an hour of tondus? Like what? That sounds great. So <laughs> I love that like different element kind of bringing it in and helping teachers in that way. Exactly. And what we have found to be really Delightful is really the best word to say is watching the NDI method, which is what we now call it. It's really, you know, these techniques that Jacques and many others um, have developed. Our artistic director is Ellen Weinstein, and she's been there for um, since 1995. So for a long time, we've been with him very active, but also under her guidance. And what's been really amazing is watching these techniques work with so many different dance styles. Mm -hmm. We have had teachers from all different dance styles from all different genres come in, you know, come back and tell us that really helped my classroom right. or that really worked when I had to do this giant workshop with 200 children and I didn't know how to even get their attention, Right. let alone teach them something. Mm -hmm. How am I even going to capture their attention? So, right. you know, that's been really delightful to just see that that really um, delivers. <laughs> right. Can you tell our listeners how they can sign up for some of these programs? Yes. So we actually have this summer in July, we have uh, the last two weeks of July, we have two weeks of workshops coming up and it's going to be sort of our fundamentals course, which is the best thing to take if you're just trying to figure out what I'm talking about, what all mm -hmm. these techniques really are. And it's uh, four days. And then following that, the next week, the last week of July, we have two options in early childhood for those that are working with young learners and then creating choreography for children which is really about like if you're trying to craft dynamic, interesting choreography, but for children who may right. have limited training <laughs> or less training. Right. Um, and how do you do that in a really artistic way? That's also they're really able to learn. So to sign up for any of that, just best ways to go to our website, which is for the collaborative is ndicollaborative.org. Okay. And that all the info is on there about how to sign up. Are these, uh, this is an important question in COVID, COVID age. Is this in person or virtual? These are virtual. These are virtual. Um, this summer, they're virtual. We've historically offered loads of in-person trainings. And this year we completely pivoted as just about everybody did. Mm -hmm. And to our surprise and really a great finding is that for teachers, Online learning is very effective. Right. And I think we were able to figure out how to do it pretty successfully. And then geography is not a barrier. Right. You can sign in from anywhere and strengthen your teaching and not have to travel to New York, which is an obstacle and complicated. That's that's such a 
I love this for this program in particular, because I don't feel like, I mean, yes, you know, there's an energy in person, but it's not the same thing as like having to watch virtual dance, which we all enjoyed, but you know, that is different from your, you're getting you're accruing a new skill set and it, I don't know it, it to me it reads differently so I think that's so wonderful that there's more access and that people can come in and and just brush up on their teaching skill set like this it's so great we had in some recent trainings we had a teacher from Uganda a teacher from Greece wow. a teacher from London teachers from of course the west coast like sure, sure. they all there I mean, I think it was two in the morning in Uganda and he signed on because he's trying to start this program. I mean, it's powerful and meaningful and incredible. So that's something not going away. That's something from the pandemic that's come out that for NDI, for the collaborative is going to stay. We will definitely always be offering, I think, pretty robust online trainings and workshops for teachers because it's really effective and it's... Um, as you said, access and the ability to reach a lot of teachers and support, you know, all across the world. We were shocked when we first, you know, people were signing up from all over. And if they couldn't log in, if they registered, we would then send them the video and they could watch right. it in their own time. Right. Just trying to make things really as accessible to teachers as possible. Right. That's great. Yeah. So, so since we were on the topic a little bit of COVID and how it's altered things, um, what were some of the ways that NDI and the collaborative in particular um, had to switch gears? Like what were the early, what was March 2020 looking like at NDI? <laughs> it was intense. <laughs> I, we, were, we are New York based. It was very intense in March and April, obviously in New York uh, for us here. And we very, very quickly, I would say, gathered Mm -hmm. as a group uh, virtually and really supported each other. And, okay, so how are we going to figure this out? We have historically been a very deeply in-person kind of an organization. Like, you know, in a school, as a team, working together with hundreds of children, very much like that. That's our thing. And that is all disappeared. All schools closed. What do we do? So we really galvanized as a staff and really worked together and figured out, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to adjust? How are we going to adapt our very dynamic method and approaches to this online medium, which can feel a little flat (laughs) initially, what are we going to do? And it was a ton of troubleshooting. I will say, I mean, I just worked with some of the best colleagues, so we were incredibly committed to each other and to the success of this for the children. So we really um, found some great ways to to still deliver a really dynamic program very differently. Um, so all of our teaching this whole year in our schools has been online. Um, and we've continued to use live music. That was a real learning curve. Wow. How to, you know, how not to have a delay when oh, we're in two gosh, separate yeah. places, but we were committed to it. We were not uh-huh. going to give up. We, you know, it certainly needed different equipment and everyone needed the right setup and, So we figured all of that out. And then for the collaborative, we also really quickly figured out, okay, how are we going to do this? Uh, Let's just try some things. And we offered, we started offering a whole bunch of workshops. They weren't even in our plan. We -hmm. offered more than we had planned to, because first of all, we knew teachers were going through what we were going through, which was, but we had support. And a lot of teachers are one dance teacher in a Mm -hmm. school and maybe have very little support. Right. So we said, what can we offer as a, as a group that will support teachers. And we started offering a lot of workshops in the spring. Um, we started offering stuff on online teaching. 
you know, as we were getting up, right. up in speed, we were said, okay, let's all, let's share what we know. Let's share right. what we know. It'll be helpful. And we were stunned when, you know, a hundred people were signing up for our workshops because everybody was home, <laughs> number yeah, one, right. and deeply, you know, desperately trying to figure out how to deliver an effective program. So right. how was a workshop like that kind of collaborative? Like were some of the teachers kind of popping on to say, I do this, I do this. Like how, how did that create kind of a network of teachers? It's a great question. Yes. Um, a number, it depends on the workshop, sure. but a number of our workshops are uh, very collaborative and very um, uh, experiential where mm-hmm. they're actually practicing in real time with us and getting mentoring and feedback. Right. right. That's a big part of ours. When there's a hundred people, that's a little bit of <laughs> <Sure. laughs> But sure. when we have a workshop of 20, we go into breakout groups, we have teaching teams. So it's, you know, a number of us and they have an assignment. Okay. So teach us, you know, 16 counts using this specific technique that we've just taught you. And then you get feedback. Try it again. Right. Try it again. Super supportive, right. 100% growth mindset. Like we're all in this together. Let's try to work on these skills. So in that way, it's it's really um, collaborative. And they're also sharing what they know. Well, I tried this thing. Let me show you. How did that work? Um, so there's a bit of sharing. And we found that a number of people would come to a number of different workshops and get to know each other. And feel supported even, you know, across the country by these colleagues that were going through similar um, challenges and also dis- discoveries. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're moving towards an era where COVID restrictions are finally relaxing. Um, what ways um, is NDI and uh, the collaborative in particular looking towards um you know, moving into a world where maybe there is less Zoom life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, certainly for NDI and our in-school program, we're hoping to get, we're planning and hoping to get back into the schools right. in September. I don't think that remote teaching is going to disappear. Mm-hmm. For the collaborative, it's going to stay a, a very strong part of what we do. We think right. that we will run it. It will be yes and, <laughs> right? right? It will be in-person when, when we can, it'll be in-person trainings and a lot of remote trainings and some combo and in-person right. training with a remote option. Cause we want to just continue to build that access, um, for teachers mm-hmm. and for our schools, we're just really hoping to get back into them and, and be in person with children. Teaching right. dance. Speaking about that, I, you know, one of the biggest, of course, challenges that we heard a lot about during the pandemic was children who didn't have access to the virtual medium. Um, was there something that NDI was doing to try? I know it's like, seems like an impossible feat, but to try to access those children. What we did, yes, actually. And you're right. It's a huge equity issue and one that, you know, our country's really been grappling with and everywhere. Um, what we did was we created on online uh, videos. We had this series called NDI Live mm-hmm. so that if people couldn't get in at a certain time to their right. NDI class online or whatever it was, they could have a link and maybe they could get in at a different time. What we found a lot, especially last spring, was a lot of families were sharing devices amongst maybe four children. Right. Sure. And yeah. so if the child couldn't get on the exact time of their class, well, here's a link to a, a little sequence in class. So we tried to provide a lot of that and make it free and available to the public and on our website so that there was opportunity to keep children moving, especially the incredible importance uh, when things were so locked down of children moving mm-hmm. for their physical health, for their mental and emotional health. Right. And so we offered a yoga series. Oh, no. um, we offered a, what's called a dream-based series, which is our program for dancers with disabilities. Um, 
And we had a whole series of videos for, uh, you know, with that community in mind so that there was really as many points of access as we could think of right. um, to try to help. Listen, it's never enough. I'm going right. to be honest with you. It's never enough. But we made every effort um, to try to have opportunities for children to connect. Yeah. Well, I, we encourage all of our listeners to go to ndicollaborative.org and check out these workshops. It sounds so incredible. And um, just the work that NDI is doing is completely inspiring to me. I, I think it's just all we want as artists, former artists, is to have other people feel this love that we were given. And I think that that feels like that's what NDI's like complete mission is. Completely. You said it, you said it perfectly. You said it perfectly. (laughs) That's Jack's whole mission, right? It Mm -hmm. it impacted his life in the biggest way imaginable. And that's what we hope to bring to every child. As our final question, I want to know if there's any NDI alumni that have joined the professional dance world that we might know. Do we have success stories to share? Oh, good question. Yes, (laughs) there are. There are so um, many actually. Many. Again, it's not our goal, but it does happen. And it's wonderful mm-hmm. when it does. Um, yeah, we had a student, Duran, who I met in, I think, fourth grade and came into our program. And he was just in the West Side Story um, wow. on Broadway, which got closed. Mm-hmm. But we all went and saw him right COVID, And it was absolutely amazing. And he's right. a total rising star right now in the Broadway world. Um, and we met him at a public school in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, when he was in fourth grade. And there's many, many stories like that. Um, and it's, you know, it's incredible. If a child is, is exposed and nourished in the arts at an early age, lots of things are possible. Right. Wonderful. Well, that's so beautiful. Thank you, Emily, for joining us today. It was our pleasure to have you on and we can't wait to hear more about what NDI and particularly the collaborative is up to in the coming year. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.